Hello and welcome to Castable. This is the podcast which brings on brilliant guests to pitch their dream music festival. My name's Matt Holtz and I'm the host, and I'm here to go with you around their hypothetical festival. Today's guest is one of the most innovative and creative comedians that I have the pleasure of knowing. He's an award-winning comedian, comic actor, and screenwriter. It's the wonderful Joss Norris. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you, mate? Yeah, pretty good. I'm very, um, I'm blushing because of all your nice words <laughs> yeah. in well, your intro. You're very, you, you have a lot on your plate. You you have a lot of great achievements, Jules, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. I should shout about them more. I should, <laughs> I should do more than I than I currently do, which yeah. is probably already too much. To yeah, do you do you feel like you um, are always quite busy with stuff? Um, I, I did until this year, and then this year I spent about eight months doing basically nothing, because <laughs> I think, like last year when the first sort of wave of COVID stuff happened, mm-hmm. I think I went into a real kind of like survival, like creative mode, and I was yes. like, I've got to do stuff, I've got to be busy, so I made a film and I made a radio show and stuff like that, and I was yeah. like, I need to use the time, so I was quite proud of it, I was like, wow, I did a lot in considering there was nothing going on, and then this year... I think it rolling on into a second year, I'm just where I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to, I'm tired. Yeah. So I only really started being busy again in the last two months or so. Yeah. Um. So now I'm starting to remember again and go, oh yeah, I used to really like having lots to do. But yeah. I did for the first time in many years, I had an extended period this year of just going, what on earth am I doing with my time? Well, well um, good for you. Because like, I, I think I am one of these people that also had that same reaction where it was like, mm. as you say, survival. Because like, I think like in that early lockdown i was like well i've just been furloughed i uh mm. i've uh, <laughs> and i was like let's take on three projects at the yeah. same time and <laughs> uh, and wonder why you like my my friend uh, said like well, how are you busy it's lockdown i was like i've got three projects to do but yeah, i realized yeah. i've I, made myself yes yeah, <laughs> if i didn't do that though i'd just be really really sad so like i just yeah. uh, one of my friends recently said <laughs> that my uh my being busy is my personality and i was like well, that's a really right. wonderful way of phrasing it yeah which is uh but welcome to the podcast which yeah <laughs> lovely to be here so we're gonna be talking about music and uh, music festivals but let's start off yeah. with uh an easy question if someone were to ask you what kind of music are you into how do you typically respond broadly i mean i often just say prog because prog was the sort of the genre that got me into got me obsessively into music. I was already a big music fan, but then I mm-hmm. discovered prog and that sort of set off this weird kind of obsessional part of my brain um, that then meant I had to like find more and more stuff. And I then went much wider than that. Like it's generally like sort of classic rock 60s to 80s mm-hmm. and kind of art rock and weird stuff within that that I like. But I guess... I always tend to respond quite well to stuff that's either very like bombastic and over the top or stuff that's quite kind of weird or kooky or strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess prog rock as a genre is the one that kind of brings together a lot of the stuff that I I tend to respond to a lot. But it's basically like 70s stuff is what yeah. I listen to. Well, that's mostly. a very articulate answer. And like, uh, I don't think anyone, we haven't really talked about prog that much on this podcast, which is what? a real, yeah, I know, right? It's the best genre. Yeah. <laughs> well, how would you describe what prog is? Because like, like, I remember uh, I went to a festival once, I was sat with some mates and they tried for a long time to describe what prog was. And I was right. still, and yeah, could you just try and describe it's it? It's so stupid. So it's short for <laughs> progressive rock. And it started in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it was all kind of... It was mostly like Cambridge and Oxford academics, mm-hmm. like young kind of too intelligent, too kind of like <laughs> cultured uh, white guys going, oh, uh, 
music that we feel quite kind of cut off from the music scene because it's all about kind of rock and roll and blues and stuff and that's not really stuff we can do so all these kind of out of touch white guys thought what if we drew on like uh classical music and avant-garde kind of uh, uh old modes of thing and then made the music way too long and way too complicated <laughs> and really stupid so we have all the cool stuff from rock like we have these big guitar solos and horns but then also there'll be like a 10 minute bolero section <laughs> or weird like polyrhythm so it's just and it, so it started as that and then it became like it's not wholly a kind of horrible privileged mm-hmm. white genre like people started doing quite cool weird stuff with it but it's just it was a kind of a six year period from like 69 to 75 mm-hmm. when people just did mad shit like really really stupid and some of it takes itself too seriously and it's a yeah. bit silly. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain bands within it who kind of acknowledged that what they were doing was stupid and just lent into it really heavily. And you'd get weird spoken word stuff and weird sound effects. Mm-hmm. And then you'd get other people who'd kind of rediscover it in the 80s. And then you'd get Neo Prog, which was trying to make it sort of cool again. They were like, no, Prog was actually really cool. But it's yeah. generally all these people doing stuff that's basically really naff and stupid but kind of trying very hard to do it earnestly and I kind of relate to that a lot uh, and it's a lot, got a lot of the kind of cool stuff of rock like there are things in it that are like wow this is actually really good and then something will happen that's just nonsense yeah uh, I love it a lot so a lot of questions spring forth from from that and uh, very wonderfully told but like so you mentioned earlier that um prog was the thing that got you obsessively into music. Uh, yeah. You mentioned you like you liked music before, but w- can you tell us a little bit more about that? What what did that look like? What was uh, what what were you like before, and how did it change to be obsessive about music? I always responded a lot to music. Like my my family were all musicians. My dad is a pianist, oh, and really? my mum and my stepdad are singers. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of kind of awareness of music around, but uh, but it was my stepdad that kind of my stepdad had a big classic rock collection. He was a big mm-hmm. fan of like Bad Company and oh, yeah. Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that. To be fair, which uh, dad isn't? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. He liked the stuff that dads like. Um, so I think through him, I had this huge affection for that kind of like just big silly 70s sound mm-hmm. um and then so I, I listened to music a lot and i stayed up i remember staying up at night with headphones on and just listening to albums all the way through and holding up a cd i don't know why it was a cd but i would hold up a cd and then watch myself lip syncing in the back of the cd <laughs> to whatever i was listening to i don't know why i didn't use a mirror yeah uh, or why i did it full stop i don't know why that was a pleasurable thing for me to do but i'd be like 14 yeah. And I put on the Out of the Blue album by ELO. <laughs> and I would lip sync the entire thing into the back of a CD. Oh, wow. Um, and that was just till till 1am or whatever with my headphones on. And I don't know why. I don't know why that gave me so much. But I'd like. I think music did a lot to my imagination. I think I would imagine myself in like in weird dramatic settings where I'd be like, wow, this one feels like a love song, so I'm going to imagine myself in love or whatever. Oh, my uh, God. So it was sort of like yeah. a storytelling tool in my head. So I think wow. it already did a lot for me as a kid. And then at uni, I met a friend who uh, loved prog and found out that I liked Supertramp. And he said, they're sort of proggy. You should try prog as a genre. And I think I have a very obsessional personality. Like when I get into mm-hmm. a thing, I'm like, I want to hear all of this and then consume all of it and learn all about it and catalogue it and rank it uh, and and have that in my head, like this sort of system. 
so I sort of did that for as much of prog as I could and then you find out the way in which that genre connects to other genres and then you go well now I want to learn about this band who sort of had something to do with it so Mm -hmm. just went on a sort of a 10-year project almost of going through all those books of like the albums you must hear before you die and Mm -hmm. the songs you must hear before you die and try to kind of get as many of them as possible and build a sort of a a library almost of of stuff. I'm way too like obsessional with it, I think. Because I often if I listen to a new album, I've like I've got to listen to it five times before I can move on yeah. to make sure I listen to it properly. And then I've got to listen to the other stuff that it reminds me of so that I'm connecting it to other things in my head. It's too like it's joyless. It's completely mm-hmm. joyless the way, I, the way Welcome I do it. to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, but I really love it. I really like that sense of like building the web and being like, oh, yeah. I see how it all fits together. It's like a puzzle. But I know other people who look at it and are like, why don't you just listen to what you want to listen to? Yeah. For and I go, I am. I do want I want to do this. I I but feel it looks mad. We we everything you just said in the last five minutes is so me (laughs) like everything about that it's just like the kind of like the obsessive listening uh, yeah uh, to the point uh, to to the detrimental point being like uh i will get i will listen to every single album of theirs even the really like the the ones which like at time has forgotten Um, and the stuff that everything online says don't listen to this it's always (laughs) totally got i've got to listen to that one yeah absolutely (laughs) well that's a good question what what is an album which everyone says they hate but you actually genuinely like in, in a totally unironic way that you like because i've got one but I, i'm um yeah i'm happy to i would love to hear your answer i'm i'm um i mean the one that's immediately leapt to my brain is uh aqua's comeback album from 2011 <laughs> which i think is genuinely great i think it's really good they did a bad album they did they did their classic album the barbie girl album and then they did a rubbish album in 2001 and then in 2011 they did a comeback album which either people haven't heard or they listened to once and thought was terrible i think it's great i think it's a banger it's called megalomania and i love it this already is the reason i set up this podcast (laughs) to find people's horrible horrible secrets a prog and aqua two yeah. two areas yeah. we've never breached before and well, they're both wacky you know there's a, there's a there's some common tissue it's a good question is let us know um it, tweet us everyone at castle podcast is aqua prog rock <laughs> let, let us know but yeah so talking about uh, your musical awareness and do you play any instruments and uh, have you ever wanted to be a musician I play clarinet a bit, but mm-hmm. not particularly well. Well enough to kind of improvise a, a, a solo and mm-hmm. for it to not sound very good. Um, and I play a bit of ukulele and I can get away with piano. So it's all like hobbyist stuff. It's mm-hmm. all the kind of stuff that I can pick up and just about get away with. And I've always, I sing a lot, but never like, never for any purpose anymore. I was in a choir when I was a kid. Uh, but these, and I really enjoy singing, but I'm not in a choir now and I don't really sing in comedy or, or anything like that. Um, and I think that I, I always imagine myself on stage being a really great musician. I picture myself singing or picture myself like learning how to do a really good guitar solo and then everyone going, wow, how did he learn to do that? Uh, and I know I will never do it. Like I don't have the discipline. And I also think it's quite nice sometimes to have something that's just for you. Like, it's nice to enjoy music in a way of, like, I love listening to music and imagining myself into the world of music, and I know I will never do it. I will never find a way to to monetize it or to or to turn it into what I am. It's just, like, a little kind of imaginary play space for me yeah. rather than anything else. 
And uh, as you said earlier, like being a kid and imagining yourself in those scenarios, that is 100% me as well. Like genuinely, really? I, I haven't heard anyone articulate in such a way, but yeah, that's so me as well. And uh, <laughs> and you know, you're right, because like, again, I think at the start of the chat, we were talking about being productive. We're both kind of like mm. these people who put a lot of time and effort into a lot of things. But I think for the longest time possible, and including this podcast, uh, I've always tried to make a project out of something which I'd like doing. But actually, that's not totally healthy, and it's important to have things to uh, have as a bit of fun. And this project is now healthier, as I've taken... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's uh, a nice place to put all that. Yeah. You know, if you do have that obsessional attitude to it, then it's a really nice way to make that into something kind of useful rather than just having it bounce around your skull <laughs> and like uh, to be fair like uh, i i had dreams of being a rock star when i was young and i think yeah. if i talk about it on a podcast that's essentially the same thing <laughs> yeah yeah I mean? yeah well you're putting the image in people's heads so yeah. people can go yeah now i'm imagining matt as a rock star and that's yeah. kind of the same thing uh, really at, it at cuts the out the middleman of actually having to do it <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah, <laughs> you validated yeah, yeah. me. I think you've done it. For me, you are now that. I'm picturing it right now. You're good. I better be headlining your festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course, yeah. <laughs> As we're going to be talking about music festivals, how many uh, festivals have you been to, if any? I'm actually terrible at going to festivals mm-hmm. because I find I hate camping. Yeah. And I hate festivals and not great for There was an amazing festival in 2010 and 2011, and then it ended because I think they ran out of acts. Uh, <laughs> and it was a prog and classic rock festival called High Voltage. Oh, yes. Happened. Did you go? No, I knew about it because I, I, um, I used to be subscribed to Classic Rock, and Classic yeah. Rock used to put out Prog, uh, the, the magazine. And uh, yeah, and uh, I so I knew were about the High Voltage. Sponsors of it, or maybe they've helped organize it or something. That yeah, magazine. I think they were uh, in the same, uh, they were organizing, I think, but, um, from the top of my head i don't know I mean, that's just a guess but yeah um but i knew about high voltage yeah so yeah did- it ran for two years in victoria park and there was no camping because it was victoria park it was central london so people just mm-hmm. went in and then left and it was all kind of it was like emerson lake and palmer and zz top oh. and foreigner and yeah. uh you know bands like that jethro tull and then after year two i think they went we've booked every single one of these bands that still exists they've all retired or died now so we have to stop the festival oh yeah and it was great i loved it and it was all like most i mean most gigs i go to i end up being probably not anymore i've not been to a gig for a couple of years and i imagine now i wouldn't be the youngest one there but for a long time everybody there was this sort of like old silver-haired guy in a sort of mad t-shirt and he'd always go you're very young to be here and they they always acted like a bit annoyed, but also quite happy to be like, oh, cool, look, we're still cool because there's young people here. Yeah. Um, mm. So it was that kind of experience of wandering around and being like, wow, I'm the kind of fresh new blood of this weird aging scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and nobody had to stay overnight so everyone could go home. It was great. It was a really good festival. That's awesome. And uh, on the flip side to that, I remember um, I used to be a really big fan of uh, Bowling for Soup, uh, and which is oh, t- right. for, for my sins as well. Like, they, they, they are, um, you know, they are what they are. They, uh, what did, they do, did, did they do a famous thing? Was there a big song? I remember the name. They did <gasps> 1985. Um, oh. Like Springsteen, Madonna, way before Nirvana. Right. Well, they did a yep. cover of that, but um, which was quite famous. And they also did, um, uh, yes, uh, stuff like uh, Girl All the Bad Guys Wants. A lot of pop punk uh, right that kind of vibe and uh yeah it's very cheesy kind of pop rock but i enjoyed it a lot as a teenager but i went to go and see a show when i was about like 21 and on the flip side 
the thing is with Born for Super audiences, you only really like it as a teenager. No one really stays the full course. Right, so yeah. I went there and I was the oldest person for oh, by no. about like 10 years. <laughs> I was like, mm, this isn't, this isn't a good look. <laughs> Did you have the same sort of amazement? Were you talking to them being like, what are you doing here? You're so young. Or were you just like, yeah, of course these people are young. <laughs> I was like, that oh my God, sense. you're so, uh, I'm so young. Yeah, I'm relevant. really old. <laughs> but those guys are getting quite old as well. So yeah. I didn't feel as bad because they, they, they were like, uh, all these people are teenagers. And I'm like, uh, like, yeah, I didn't feel as bad. But yeah, it was, uh, especially, I used to go to a lot of gigs by myself as well. So like, right. uh, so yeah, I, I did feel a bit like, hmm, I uh, do feel like a fish out of water here. So uh, yeah. Um, Never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully, Bone for Soup and me will be at your festival. Uh, but let's <laughs> let's go and learn a little bit more about the admin of your festival as we go okay. and set up camp. Hello and welcome to Season 5 of Castable. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It really means the world to me. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please make sure to give it five stars on Spotify or Apple or whatever platform that you're using and give it a nice review. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, share it. If you want to have bonus content and financially support the podcast, why don't you become a Patreon for a little pound a month where you get to have bonus podcasts, videos, and so much more. Best way to support the podcast is keep on listening to the show and enjoy the rest of the season. Castable, if you can hear me, I want you to sing along. Go for it. So I, I've, I've decided it's, it's a no camping festival. It's a no that's camping. The, that's festival. the thing I've taken from High Voltage that I really liked. Is I'd right. like it to be a festival for shy introverts who <laughs> are not good at mingling. Um, which very few festivals cater for that audience. It's just assumed that you're going to be the kind of person who gets really energized by crowds. Yeah. And for those of us who are sort of exhausted by crowds, I think there's a, there's a gap in the market. Yeah, a gap in the market for people who just want to chill festival yeah. away from people. Yeah. I mean, only... obviously, you're going to have to interact with people at some point because <laughs> you, 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 you're going to some gigs. Yeah, um, but I was thinking it would be nice if there were sort of like being on your own pods <laughs> dotted around, and it was completely it was like encouraged to go to them. So yeah. you have the gigs, and then nothing. So that the the timings work out so that you never um you're never going to be missing out if you take the time to go to a going on your own pod. Yes. So there are these big gaps. So it makes it very long the festival. <laughs> but there are these <laughs> gaps in between things so that everyone can go. Okay, I'm gonna, just going to go and chill out for a bit and be in a pod and again i don't know how many of them there are because presumably there's like a few thousand people at the festival yeah but maybe it's very big maybe it <laughs> takes up so much space that they can dot dot these pods around over several square miles yeah so that it's got that it's got these kind of recharge sensors for <laughs> healing and and meditation that sounds really cool and like I might be stepping a little bit ahead here, but like I might, what would be quite a cool idea for a a stage, not not your main stage, but like you're only allowed to be like, only, not allowed to be a part of group. Only one person is allowed at yeah, that, like um, a socially distanced <laughs> stage, but not for COVID reasons, yeah. but just because I want people to really digest it at their own at their own pace. No, so play to this eerie field of individuals. <laughs> 
with several meters between each of them. Eerie Field sounds like a really good festival name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or a good band actually. Yeah. Well, talk Eerie about... Field are on the main stage yes. at three. Be there at your own peril. <laughs> yeah. uh, talking about uh, festival names, what is the name of your festival, Jos? That's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that. I think I will call it Jos Stock. Because yeah. there is a festival. Do you know about Nozstock? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. Is that so a... Nozstock is a is a sort of alternative festival in uh, it's in like Herefordshire, is it? Like North Wales ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do. I don't know if they still do it, but they often did a comedy tent. And I went and did it a few times. And then for a few years, I would often get messages from people saying, um, "Can I have a spot at Nozstock? Do you run Nozstock?" <laughs> and I was like, "Why do you?" And I think it's because it's at like. My name's Jos Norris, so yes. you can see that there's a, yeah. a bit of a link that I could have caught. But just the idea that, like, because at the time I've been doing comedy for about three years, so I was like, okay, you think I run a festival <laughs> in North Wales? And also that I named it after myself. Oh, wait, um, hold on. So you're saying you didn't do that? That's the only reason I got you on the podcast. I like. didn't do it. I'm sorry. I'm not the president of Nostock. <laughs> I'm going to have to cancel the interview halfway I'm really through. sorry. Sorry to let you down. <laughs> but yeah, I would occasionally get these messages of people being like, Are you, you're, you, you run Nostock. <laughs> um, and I'd say, I'm sorry, I don't. Um, yeah. But because I don't, and because that idea has been seeded in my head of naming a festival narcissistically after myself, I guess I'd call it Jostock. And it can be a kind of partner festival to Nostock, yeah. maybe. And a good question is, will you be booking the comedy for that festival? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, no. <laughs> no, I've got terrible taste in comedy. I'll, just, I'll farm that out. Farm that out to somebody else. Oh, that's really... <laughs> that tickled me, that. So, you mentioned there's no camping at the festival, but whereabouts geographically is your festival? Ooh. I think... I mean, I liked that High Voltage was in London. But I I can't just recreate high voltage <laughs> exactly, and also you know it was convenient for me that it was in London, but it's not convenient for everybody around the country. So maybe I'd make it equidistant from everywhere else in the country. <laughs> I'd put it in the exact centre, which yeah. I guess is like Birmingham, Sheffield's. Is it like like that's the Midlands? I was thinking around so about Derbyshire, right? Like Derbyshire, because um, Download Festival, which is um, a rock festival, it's a oh, it's, yeah. it's at Castle Donington, which is I think um, for the it's for for the purposes of by rule of thumb, it's quite pretty much centre on. It's a, a very centre festival. Do you know what I mean it's in the middle of the Midlands? So right. I kind of think it's a uh, it's quite good for that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, um, but yeah, but I think like, uh, that's a real life example. But yeah, I think. Uh, um, yeah, equidistance is nice because it's a uh, nice, nice from everyone as well. But uh, I guess it does make it trickier that I've declared there will be no camping, <laughs> but I'm still putting it not in a major, in a major city. I'm putting it like in the countryside, yeah. far away from everywhere. <laughs> and you have to, so you yeah. have to get the train home at the end of, and yeah. then come back in for every single day of the festival. It's very expensive yeah, to it's... commute to and from it. <laughs> But it's, it's worth it for the the sense of peace at the end of the day. It's it's equidistant, um, but uh, you, you can get a train home. But you're also welcome to try and survive the night. You know, like in the wilderness. Yeah, in the Charleston. wild. Yeah, if you do, I'm not saying you can't <laughs> camp in the region of the festival. I'm saying there is no camping facilities in the festival. So if there are some lunatics <laughs> who like camping and think that that's a key part of the festival experience, then yeah, they can go and sleep in the woods. Yeah. Good luck to them. <laughs> I'll probably stay with my friend in Beeston. We've got a friend <laughs> near Nottingham. So I'd go and crash with her. Yeah. 
that's really nice. <laughs> uh, obviously, the the woods were probably haunted, and uh, yeah. yeah, 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 wolves. They, <laughs> the wolves are just. If not... there aren't any wolves there, then I'm reintroducing wolves just to put off campers. <laughs> you really hate camping. I I, I hear that now. <laughs> it's a really antisocial festival. <laughs> if you try to have a fun festival experience with your friends, you will be eaten by wolves. <laughs> And Go home alone. Now that is a good marketing slogan, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you will be. I think it's going to be busy. Really busy this place. You used the word earlier, which really uh, intrigued me, uh, and it was the word you wanted to digest music uh, at this stage. And oh yeah. Do you think so? At your festival, are you going to? Uh, do you want people to be there and be like really appreciate the music, or you want people like what's what's the vibe of it? I um I, I want people to 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 have a good time. You know, I'm not gonna like ban applause or cheering <laughs> or like that. I've already I've already created a weird vibe at this festival, so I can't on top of it go oh and make no noise, make no all. noise, or else those wolves are coming for you. I buddy. want calm <laughs> contemplation across the board. But I guess um I guess yeah, I uh, I often get very like the thing I most like from music is it, it sort of like takes you to to this sort of quite emotional. Mm-hmm. space where suddenly you're kind of half present but also half it's kind of like transporting you somewhere so i think i've had experiences at gigs where i i sort of appreciate like the stillness as much as i experience they're like yeah we're all here watching this band or whatever so i guess um yeah i think people are free to to react in whichever way they want but actually that's not quite true i've got i've programmed the days um so that a, a specific mood uh, is gotcha. encouraged on each day, so That's I guess maybe really... when I when I talk yes. about the lineups, there'll be appropriate responses per day. I hadn't quite thought about that, but yeah, maybe on day two, day two we will be encouraged to listen quietly. <laughs> <laughs> it's reflection day. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Um, so um, before we move on to uh, your um, actual festival lineup. What kind of role would you take at your festival? Are you the kind of person that's going to be in the crowds and enjoying the stuff? Are you backstage sorting things out, uh, or are you kind of like uh, being like a demigod of the situation of the whole festival? What's the kind of vibe of, uh, of Jostock? I think I'd try to be a sort of a, a logistics uh, mm-hmm. behind the scenes guy because I quite like making stuff happen and being busy and mm-hmm. being part of it. Uh, I I think. There's a bit of my ego, obviously, when you're a performer that, like, it's nice to go out and go, hey, it's all about me or whatever. But I actually find that quite draining doing mm-hmm. that stuff. You know, when you do too much of that in a row of like, hey, it's I'm here, then it, 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 it does bad stuff to your head. So maybe I do like a like a Jeremy Corbyn style <laughs> special appearance of like. I put all this together and then everyone chanting and like, oh, Joss Norris or something. <laughs> but then I, I go, it's really not about me. It's not about me, even though I have done this bit. But it's all about the band. So I'd get that kind of like ego boost. But then I'd be straight backstage and being like, hey, right, we need these guys to go on at this time. And trying to like make sure everybody had everything they need. Does anyone need any sweets? Does anyone need any yeah. Dr. Pepper? That um, kind of thing, just making sure the artists are looked after. But yeah. mostly I'd enjoy being busy, I think. 
Wait, there's so much to digest there. Firstly, uh, I love that your uh, fictional rider of the bands coming up are Sweets and Dr Pepper. Yeah, I assume <laughs> I assume that's what most. Of the, I mean, I'm happy to like take their requests, but yeah. ideally they'll ask for stuff from the from the supplies that I've already got in, which, which will is... be mostly e numbers. <laughs> I um, think rock stars love e numbers. Yeah, rock stars love e numbers, <laughs> and I've never, I've never heard someone um, like talk about like a like an adrenaline shot of like ego as well. That's really cool. Like, uh, and to be described as like a Jeremy Corbyn, that's that's a really good. There should be more of those that like, get people on quick, quick thing. Say, yeah, you're on just five bash minutes. them out and say like, we're gonna do it. Let's for the yeah. many, and then everyone goes, yeah, this guy's great. Yeah, and then um, wheel him off. Yeah, let him lose an election, and then yeah. carry on. <laughs> Can't wait for Keir Starmer to come on. Whoa, yeah, <laughs> he'd be Woo-hoo. so rubbish at it. <laughs> he'd it's be a... so bad. Yeah. Without revealing the lineup, how much do you reckon you'll charge per ticket? Oof. I mean, there's some big acts here. Um, are some of them dead? No, none of them are dead. So, uh, so I'm not charging for like supernatural abilities. Some of them have. <laughs> Oh no, he's dead. Uh, okay, so I've got to charge. I've got to charge quite a bit for that. Um, How much is a supernatural charge? Yeah, it's tr- it's tricky. Way. And you know, few of them are retired. She's not well. You know, she doesn't perform anymore, so it's a bit weird that she's there. Uh, so I've got to be charging hundred quid. That's Wait, good. that's just how much festivals are, isn't it? Well, I actually think that's not that, that expensive. That's, that's like quite cheap, actually. Is that for the whole weekend or per day? Or I was thinking the whole weekend. Yeah. That, that's really <laughs> cheap. That... Really cheap. Yeah. Especially oh, wow. Well, I don't know how I'm covering charge. my overheads for this then. Yeah. Like uh, 150. What... 150 quid. Yeah. All right. Because there's right. a dead guy here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta splash out on that. Do you want to splash out for? I think it's because I've I've not the last festival I went to. I did. I went to Latitude in 2016, and I've not been since to a to a proper festival. So I think my sense of what's happened to inflation and prices is not very good i don't really know what a sensible price is for this for this lineup yeah it's um it can be it can be difficult but i'll i can give you a rough uh, estimate afterwards as well like uh, oh, okay, I, for what uh, but, you think it's worth but i i knowing your headlines i i'd say that um it's definitely uh, quite cheap uh, um but yeah i think that's okay, pretty i ought but, to be pushing it up a bit maybe but, is, <laughs> but i don't want to i don't want to break the bank you know no, i want it to be no. an accessible festival i don't want people to look at the lineup and go i just can't afford it there's yeah. a cost of living crisis yeah. you know there's bills going up i can't <laughs> afford 200 quid to see a dead keyboardist <laughs> So I want to keep costs affordable, or yeah. maybe there'd be like a bursary scheme. Yeah. Oh my god, that's that's a good idea. There should be a festival bursary scheme. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there should actually. That's not it's a bad part idea. of people's, you know, their emotional education. People, mm. it's good to learn about music. Yeah. All we right. We should help them out. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you what, like, uh, yeah, I've never done such a deep dive on the economics before, but I'm <laughs> glad, I'm glad we did. Um, but let's head over to the main stage of your festival, and let's okay. start learning about your acts. Get ready for a gratuitous guitar solo! Here we go, for 14 minutes! Is it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday you've got? 
Yeah, I think so. I think that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. I've already made the festival a bit weird in other ways, so it's you know it's tempting to be like it will be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Ha <laughs> ha you know it's already difficult to get to and quite restrictive in in its rules. So yeah, yeah it's fr- it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So uh, let's start off with your Friday. Could you um, to start off your festival? Who's the first act on on that bill? Um, so Friday, day one is Wacky Day. Wacky. Uh, I've tried to sort of program according to certain certain things that I like to get out of music. I'd say there's three three big things that I like to get out of music. Um, and the first one is just sort of fun, good time vibes, mm-hmm. kind of party vibes. Uh, or like kooky, this is a bit weird vibes. So that's day one. And I think the first act for that is uh, Parliament Funkadelic. I've got Parliament Funkadelic Parliament kicking things Funkadelic. off. Now, I'm not familiar with their work. Could you tell me a little bit about them? So they are uh, they're two funk bands from the 70s, both run by George Clinton. Mm-hmm. And he set up these two bands. And I think initially they were legitimately two bands, both of them massive, both of them like 15 people in them. And I think Funkadelic did sort of serious funk rock and Parliament did sort of silly, silly good time dance music. Mm-hmm. Uh and then as the 70s went on, they he just sort of started blending them and people crossed over until basically it was one massive band with 30 people in it. And he would sort of decide on a whim, like, okay, this is going to be a Funkadelic album. This will be a Parliament album. Uh, but they ended up basically doing the same thing. They were all just playing kind of like fun, silly funk music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all these kind of complicated narratives in there. Like there's a... There's a character called Star Child who is a sort of an alien, a party yeah. alien who comes down and spreads the funk around yeah. people. And then there's a villain called Sir Nose, devoid of funk. He <laughs> is devoid of funk. He hates dancing and he has a big nose. So you'll be listening to a Parliament album and then about three tracks in, Sir Nose turns up and goes, I hate dancing. And you go, oh, this guy again. Uh, so it's just mad. It's absolutely mad shit. Now, but yeah. a lot of fun. I love them. So... I'll be honest, like, uh, with with funk music, I never really thought, like, there was a deep, intricate storylines from outer space, I'll be honest, but th- this Parliament Funkadelic have a prog edge to them, do you know what I mean? They have that, yeah. like, star child, so nose. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what got me I think it was the sort of, like, I'd kind of done prog by this point. I got really into funk about, like, 2014, and I think because I realised that it had that same sense of, like, let's just throw way too much into it. <laughs> it's the same approach of, of prog, of, like, let's make this... Far too much, far too stupid, far yeah. too over the top. Um, so I got really into into them then. They're basically. Do you are you a Mighty Boosh fan? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah. Do you remember the old Greg episode where yes. they find they capture the funk in a box and then they all sing a song about having the funk? Mm-hmm. That's a Parliament spoof. That whole sort oh, of like angle. So that style of music and that kind of like outlandish costumes that they have for it are basically lifted directly from Parliament Funkadelic stuff. So it's that kind of like. We're just having a great time, and this is really stupid sort of vibe. That's yeah. their that's their music. So I'd have them kick things off. And I think they're a really good opener. And uh, yeah. listeners will know, uh, like I said, this quite often. But like, you need like a really fun energy and a big a lot of energy to start with. And having, I say, like, was it like thirty people on stage, or was it like fifteen? Yeah, I think it's about that these yeah. days. I don't really. Their last album was like an hour and forty five minutes wow. long. So I think it's just. Yeah. Whoever, as many people as it takes to have a good time. But that, that, that if you're having that many people on stage, having a good time, playing funk music, uh, and having Star Child, uh, I feel yeah. like that's like there's no way no one's having a good time at that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People will go. We get it. We get yeah. it. 
that's going to be that. You know what? That's a cracking opener. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, but who's on after Parliament Funkadelic then? Um, I've also got on Wacky Day. I've got uh, Brian Eno, but with specific instructions. Obviously, <laughs> that he has to do his his silly stuff, his sort of wacky stuff from the seventies. I don't want him doing his ambient stuff because yeah. I know these days you think of Brian Eno and it's an hour of slow yeah. glacial synth. I yeah. don't want him doing that. That will spoil Wacky Day. <laughs> but <laughs> Brian Eno, don't spoil Wacky Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't want that kind of like. We don't want people to just go to sleep so mm-hmm. um but in the 70s he did a lot of stuff that was that was just nonsense he did mm-hmm. a lot of like uh weird noises and inventing strange instruments so i'd do him i'd have him do some of his stuff from his first couple of albums some yeah. of the really weird stuff because i know a lot of people like uh, adam buxton for example is a really big fan of brian Eno, but like um I, I obviously don't mind ambient music uh for like writing or stuff like that but i never yeah. really saw the um this total attraction to it but like so brian Eno in the first couple of albums was it like experimental stuff or is it just kind yeah, of yeah like... it's it's sort of like cause so he was in roxy music for their first yeah. two albums and that was all very kind of like glam rock art rock kind mm-hmm. quite sort of eccentric charismatic stuff and he was just doing weird noises in the background um on synths and then he kind of carried that on for his first few solo albums it was um uh he would sing, but the lyrics were often kind of nonsense. He would like improvise nonsense noises and then write lyrics that sounded like those noise those noises. And then he would throw weird elements in of like, let's get a really over the top guitar solo there. I'll play my guitar backwards here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this bit we can have a, a chorus of people. There's one. There's a really great song called "Dead Finks Don't Talk," where every point that you think it's got as stupid as it possibly can, something new happens. <laughs> so there's a bit where he suddenly puts on this American accent and goes, oh, perfect masters. And then a choir comes in singing very kind of like over the top stuff. And then in the background, somebody starts going, oh, God, oh, God, over and over again. It just goes completely nuts. So I'd want him doing that stuff. I'll tell you what, like, there is definitely a podcast idea of Joss Norris um, commentating upon Brian Eno <laughs> songs as well. Like, I was captivated by that. That's, that's some really I always good... think like, I mean, these days he's so kind of settled on like he does the sort of ambient experiments and i always wish that he would every now and again he does something that's a bit more it's got more kind of proper songs in it and you get a sense of that early stuff in there Mm -hmm. but i always think his best stuff was when he was just kind of being mad and actually singing yeah absolutely and uh yeah because i never really got a foothold into brian you know for that reason because it's just like again there's a lot of it and you just don't know really where to begin and, yeah uh, and a lot of it sounds quite similar yeah a lot of it's, it's like, just him <laughs> holding down one note for a yeah. long time you go, okay i get it <laughs> um but yeah i think that sounds fun and uh you've really planned a fun festival so far and uh so who have you got after brian Eno then well, the other two acts on Wacky Day, I don't think it's fair to say which of them is a headliner. It's Tom Waits and Kate Bush, and I, I think both of them are both of them can headline. Uh, yeah. it, it doesn't seem right for me to say which of them gets to headline. So I think maybe they they play simultaneously, or not simultaneously. They alternate. <laughs> they alternate songs. <laughs> no. So Tom Waits does a song, Kate Bush does a song. Maybe they do a duet. <laughs> Then they they keep alternating, but they're sort of joint headliners because I, yeah, I I don't feel I can go up to either Tom Waits or Kate Bush and go. So you'll be on just before the headliner. That doesn't feel yeah. right to do that to either of them. And then firstly, they'll be like, right, well, where you, firstly you fucked us off with the Dr Pepper, and now you're yeah. on the second. Like, you know, uh, and but like, 
uh, I I kind of love the idea of them playing simultaneously. Like you just kind of have to like, switch between them like a silent disco, and uh, yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, I wonder if it would gel. I mean, I've got them on both to do to be silly. You know, I think yeah. they I think they both have a a good track record of kind of very silly, energetic, over the top songs, but probably in quite different ways. In that Tom Waits will sort of bash two bits of wood together and then go, <laughs> and then <laughs> Kate Bush will have some sort of like very jaunty lovely piano and then go ah. um so it's it's different it's different vibes but i guess you know you make new stuff by putting two things together that hasn't been put together yeah. before so maybe maybe it creates a whole new genre um and ju- just for my own real amusement and we'll and this will definitely be in in the podcast but could you uh, you just did two really wonderful impressions of both tom waits and oh, kate yeah. bush in a single noise <laughs> could you b- do both of those again for us please okay tom waits i reckon generally it can all be boiled down to <laughs> and kate bush i think is is roughly <laughs> it's that noise she does at the start of this woman's work that's that's <laughs> That's basically a condensed three seconds of her entire musical output, I think, in that one noise. You captured both of them so well in just Thanks. a few seconds. I tried, tried my best. Um, but yeah, okay, let's let's talk about Tom Waits and Kate Bush, because um, we, we kind of talked about uh, people having a lot of albums, and uh, mm. Tom Waits is definitely one of these people, and uh, I, I was trying to do some research for Tom Waits, but there's a lot of stuff to get into, and we discussed off Yeah, it's a, big old, mm-hmm. it's a big old discography. So... Uh, what makes Tom Waits so special in your eyes, and what kind of album would you suggest someone like me to start with? I got into Tom Waits at, at uni um, after listening to my brother had played me Tom Waits for years, and I hated his voice. I really, really hated it. I was mm-hmm. like, this is just not pleasant to listen to. It's not musical because he's got that really kind of gravelly like thing. Um, and then I listened to Rain Dogs, which is an album he yes. did in 1985, yeah. and it's sort of his his fame his most famous one probably, uh, mm-hmm. and just loved the invention of it. Like there's so much. He basically he did ten years of very moody jazz albums, just him at the piano singing about being a drunk, and they're really great albums, but nothing kind of new. Not like we, we've heard kind of moody sad piano jazz a thousand times uh, and they they did very badly he kind of lived in a really cheap motel for 10 years because his records didn't sell and then he got to a point in the 80s where he just went mad and I think he got so angry that he just started smashing things together and screaming and he did these very sort of aggressive weird albums with like strange instruments that he would make out of bits of wood uh, and really weird styles, like kind of German cabaret style stuff, and he would just like scream over the top of them. And suddenly everyone went, wow, this guy's great. Who the hell is this guy? And it turned out he'd been around for these 10 years. Yeah. So I find that sense of like that creative persistence of like, I'm trying to do this thing I care about, but people don't seem to be responding. Do you know what? I'll just go crazy. I'll go crazy and do whatever comes naturally to me, even if it's weird or spooky or, mm-hmm. or odd. And then suddenly everyone went, Oh, we love it. We really love it. And I find that the sort of story of his career through that is really nice. And he didn't do, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't upset about not being famous because he wanted the attention. I think he just wanted to be allowed to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's actually a very private individual. Like he doesn't like the kind of the the glow of fame, I don't think. And he avoids interviews and he avoids saying much about his life. But I think he just got really exhausted of the... I want to just be allowed to do it. I want to be able to make money from doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually got there by just kind of going, whatever, I'll just I'll just scream. So 
again, uh, something I, I know um, I wanted to talk about earlier with Prog and also what you mentioned here with Tom Waits is that creative persistence as well because is the reason that you like Tom Waits, that idea of creative persistence also linked to that Prog element being doing something in the way that you want to be do it despite what other people think about it? I think it is a bit. I think that's the kind of the common thread through a lot of stuff that I like because it's the same with like Gonzo was always my favourite Muppet as a kid because mm-hmm. he was always, he'd do the sort of the maddest, stupidest stuff of I'm going to tap dance in this vat of oatmeal or whatever and he never cared what people thought about it. He was like, it's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, the type of music I've loved the most is people who go, I'm not really giving much thought towards whether this will sell or whether it will be popular or whether it's the right thing. But what I am giving a lot of thought to do towards is that I think it will be interesting to do it and it feels like what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the sort of spirit that I, I really get out of music a lot. Well, wonderful stuff. And uh, and let's just quickly chat about Kate Bush as well. And uh, Kate Bush is, uh, as well as Tom Waits, is a kind of a fan favourite on a, on this podcast. But like, Oh, a, really? Does she come up a lot? Well... I, I actually not to headline as much, but definitely pops in quite regularly for like uh, like uh, lower slots. But I think Kate Bush right. is a worthy headliner for sure. She's great. Yeah. I think like well, cause she never she she performed live once in the seventies and then didn't again for thirty five years or whatever, and then did those uh, Hammersmith Apollo shows a few years ago, which yeah. I went to see one of those. <gasps> How was that? Oh, it's great. It was just, I mean, I think she's got a really theatrical approach to music where so much mm-hmm. of it is about storytelling and kind of like fantasy. So the whoever the art designer was for that show built these incredible sets and these incredible visuals and she would kind of dance between it all with all these weird costumes, mm-hmm. like a giant kind of bird monster thing that would chase her around. So just, she's somebody who really thinks about like, it's not enough for me to just play my song and that's it. I need to create a kind of a world for the audience to come into. So it was the most amazingly like designed and choreographed thing that I've ever seen live. Um, yeah. I would insist that she brought the entire production <laughs> to the festival. I would go, if you're if you're just going to sit at the piano, no way. You've got to bring all your cool stuff yeah. and make um, it really weird because it's Wacky Day. It's Wacky Day. And uh, what do you think... Kate Bush brings to your festival. What does she bring to Jostock that you think is a uh, is uh, fitting for that? I think she brings a, a a sort of an otherworldliness, but that's a bit more kind of refined and like aesthetically nice than the others. Because mm-hmm. a lot of what I've put in here is very much like, hey, we're having a great time, blah, blah, blah. like artists that that focus very much on just. I'm going to do whatever. We're just going to have fun. And I think she has the same sort of like a lot of her stuff is very eccentric and very weird and very it's not like stuff that you hear elsewhere. But I think she crafts stuff really, really well and she makes it sound beautiful and she puts a lot of effort into into making a kind of a coherent world so that you feel like you're kind of stepping into this fantasy land. So I think she'd bring a bit more a bit more craft and a bit more refinement while still being very big and very silly. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that sounds really good. And for Wacky Day, that sounds really, really wonderful. And that's that's quite a tight day so far. Um, but let's head over to your Saturday because, um, as I say, it's not going to be a crazy night. At, well, well, everyone's going to get their trains. Yeah, everyone goes home. Everyone either stays in the woods with the wolves or they, <laughs> yeah, they, they adhere to the curfew anyway, one way or the other. They all have to get out of there at about yeah. 10. Yeah. <laughs> I'm finishing it at 10. <laughs> Uh, you get home nicely rested uh, or <laughs> in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned earlier uh, that Friday is obviously wacky day. Saturday yeah. is reflection day. Is that uh, Saturday is sad day. Sad. I'm putting on a day of sad, sad music. 
<laughs> Imagine trying to market with that. It's sad day. <laughs> Saturday night. Sad night. Yeah, sad night. Um, because uh, this this is, I think, one of the other two things that I I get out of music the most is the that sense of like, oh, I'm being. This is letting me process a lot of like stuff that's uh, that's making me feel quite thoughtful or reflective or sad or whatever. And I I think music is a good conduit for that a lot of the time. So I would be putting on uh, artists that I think will make the audience feel really sad um, yeah. and help them help them figure that out. So I would start with uh, Anthony and the Johnsons or Anoni now, but I I would largely be wanting her to play uh, the music that she made as Anthony and the Johnsons because I think that's the saddest stuff. Yeah. So um, again, I'm unfamiliar with their work, but like, uh, could you uh, tell me a little bit about um, uh, what kind of stuff they do and what kind of uh, what kind of uh, emotion it evokes? So it's sort of, and Anoni is now called Anoni because she's a trans woman, but was called Anthony and the Johnsons. Got you. Uh, so the stuff that I got into first when I got into her stuff was her stuff as Anthony and the Johnsons. And that stuff was very, it's mostly kind of piano and cello and the odd like horns or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just incredibly sad. It's really, really lovely. It's this sort of really transcendent stuff about like, transcending your body and kind of becoming mm-hmm. your spirit or your soul and things like that um but uh a lot of it i i first heard it at a funeral and there's a song uh, she did called hope there's someone which is about uh, the, the lyrics go hope there's someone uh, who'll take care of me when i die and it's played a lot at funerals and when anoni found this out she was really horrified and was like you can't play that that whole song is about like being terrified of death if you play it at funerals then <laughs> yeah. that's the most horrible message to yeah. put ever but because the music is so beautiful and her voice is incredible and the piano is really lovely um I think people put it on as this really kind of like hopeful, beautiful thing. But the the lyrics, if you pay attention to the storytelling of what she writes about, are usually just like horrifying, like sad fear. Um, yeah. So I think she'd get Saturday off <laughs> on a really, <laughs> on a really Woo-hoo! good note. Yeah. There's one song actually, my, my favorite song of all time is by Anoni and it's called Fistful of Love. And the lyrics are about domestic violence, mm-hmm. but uh, Lou Reed does a guitar solo on it and then it goes into this really like jubilant 60s-esque like soul horn thing where all these saxophones and horns are going crazy and there's this huge guitar solo and it's the most powerful kind of climax to a song i think of any that i know so i'd ask her to play that yeah i guess am i asking lou reed to come back from the dead to play it well if so why gonna not be, there's going to be a, a, another supernatural tax on that yeah, so that's yeah. 200 i'm charging pounds. 100 quid for a ticket so you know it's reasonable to to get <laughs> yeah. lou reed out yeah um so these days she does much more like electronic stuff since she became anoni she started mm-hmm. working with a lot of like electronic producers and she does more kind of um synth based stuff yeah. but i think if i'm getting her to play sad day i would be asking her to go back and do her sort of chamber pop baroque pop stuff instead awesome and yeah great to hear uh about anoni that sounds really um yeah really wonderful it's probably not a great kind of um well for the, for the mood i want to create i think it's the right opening but yeah. i i need people to come into sad day knowing what they're coming into <laughs> otherwise they'll go oh wow i feel I feel terrible now um, <laughs> I just travelled eight eight hours yeah. on a train for this. this is I was mauled by a wolf last <laughs> night. I could really do with having a good time, but I'm being asked to feel like this. Okay, yeah. fair so enough. After Noni, um, who do you have? 
After and only in the middle on Sad Day, I've got Peter Gabriel and Joni Mitchell. Yes. Not together. These are yeah. those are just the two acts. Um, Joni Mitchell, obviously, she was the one I mentioned about. She's quite ill and she doesn't perform very yeah. much anymore. I think she, I think she's been in hospital for. Well, no, I think she's just been out of the public eye for a long time because mm-hmm. she got pneumonia and isn't very well. So I guess I wouldn't want to put her life in danger. So maybe I'm booking a past version of Joan yeah, Mitchell from that, 10, 15 years ago. That's allowed, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, so I'd have her there mainly doing stuff like Blue, like her kind of like mm-hmm. the sad heartbreak albums and that kind of thing. I just think she has the loveliest voice. I think she has one of the best voices in, in music. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And she can do... I think she's in my head as one of the people that can do the most with the least, if you know what I mean. Like a yeah. lot of her best songs are literally just her on a piano, nothing else. And the tunes are actually quite simple. She doesn't throw loads of stuff in. Uh, and and it's just like heartbreakingly lovely stuff. So I'd have her do a load of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's, um, you make a really interesting point by doing the most with a lot less. And uh, yeah, there's, um, I uh, earlier in the year, I finished off the Bruce Springsteen um, autobiography. And, uh, oh, it's great. Isn't it just, it's like the best book I've ever read. But, so uh, good. But uh, it, and and as you know, but in that he talks about um, trying to train up. Is it Jermaine Clement? Um, and so oh, his nephew. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So oh. um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Bruce Springsteen's saxophone player Clarence Clement died uh, in two thousand nine, and uh, to replace him he had his nephew. But like um, Bruce uh, was telling them off one day, and very much was saying that like these notes aren't hard to play. They're not hard to play, but it's about having the soul to play them yeah. it's got to be the personality you know it's not it's uh, any musician could play it but it's about being having that spirit of yeah. Clarence and bruce that makes it work do you know what i mean and i think that's where this, what you mean by johnny mitchell i think uh yeah. Like yeah having the right um vibe space for it yeah it's really lovely that bit because it's like he's He's really open in that book about the times when he's been not a nice person. Because I remember reading, like, he gets really angry with Clarence Clemens' yeah. nephew, doesn't he? And he's like, you are auditioning for the, the most important spot in this band that this guy that I loved for 30 years, 40 years or whatever held. And you do not. He turned up late to a rehearsal and yeah. lost his shit with him or something. And you kind of read it and go like, wow, this is... Bruce Springsteen is not being very nice in this moment, but also mm-hmm. he's like grieving his friend and just the way he kind of opens up very honestly to like, I was very angry that I lost my friend and it made me quite difficult and stuff is really beautiful. I think mm-hmm. it was very human about it really well. The, yeah. the whole thing was very human as well. And um, I, I really wanted Springsteen on at this festival because he's one of my absolute favorites yeah. and I haven't, I haven't found the place for him because he didn't quite fit into the moods of any of the day. I guess he could do sad day and I could, <laughs> Ask him to only play his kind of, but then if you have Springsteen, Nebraska. you want all the feel-good stuff. You yeah, know? well, that's it. Because um, well, like uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen Springsteen before live, but like, oh, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's like I I often find it's like a spiritual experience because you go yeah. there, you have you have fun at the rock songs, but they that the slower songs like My City in Ruins feels like an yeah. experience. You know, it feels like your your, your soul's been revived. It's, yeah. It's nice. Actually, do you know what? Now I'm thinking about it. I'm taking Peter Gabriel off Sad Day and I'll put Bruce Spring... I love Peter Gabriel and I think he has really nice sad songs. But he's... Spring, Springsteen, I think, is more powerful. Yeah. So I'm going to put Springsteen on with the caveat that he has to focus largely on the sad, like you say, the sort of spiritual transcendent yeah. ones. Wow. Maybe he can do a fun one, but it is Sad Day. <laughs> but I feel I just feel bad about putting on a festival and not having Bruce there because... 
He's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, I love Bruce Springsteen. And, uh, yeah, Springsteen's just one of these people who, um, yeah, I just adore. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you like him too. <laughs> um, yeah. But also, I, I like Peter Gabriel as well, but, like, I oh, think one of, my, my, one of my greatest achievements was uh, getting you to take off Peter Gabriel for Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> I like Peter Gabriel a lot. I saw a really lovely gig with Peter Gabriel in 2013, and um, at the start, he just like wandered out and the house lights were still on and he wandered out on stage and went, hi, everyone. Thanks so much for coming along. Uh, we're going to have a really great time. But I just wanted to introduce my support act. They're these two really amazing women and they do da 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 and then brought out the support act. That's and so I just nice. watched it and was like, that's incredible because you yeah. go to so many of these acts by classic 70s rock musicians and their egos are just enormous. And it's all about like the rock star stadium entrance and all that kind of thing. And to watch him just wander out and go, hi, I really love these guys. I really enjoy performing with them. So he was just really sweet. That's uh, so and nice. And I think some of his sad songs are really, are, are very, very powerful. So I was going to have him on Sad Day. But I Tell think... Tell you what, why, why don't I've you get Peter Gabriel to introduce each of the acts? Yes. P- yeah. Peter Gabriel can MC the entire <laughs> festival. <laughs> Never play a note, but yeah. just go, oh, it's so lovely to be here. I'm a huge fan of Bruce Springsteen, so happy to lose my spot to him. Yeah. Here he is. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, funny. I think that's a good... Uh, so, with that in mind, who is Peter Gabriel comparing on for the final person of Saturday? Uh, headlining Sad Day. And this feels now a bit silly that he's headlining if Bruce Springsteen <laughs> is in the middle, because I think Bruce Springsteen is objectively a much bigger act. But I've got uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds oh, headlining Sad Day because I think they're much better equipped at headlining Sad Day. Yes. You know, they might not be as much of a headliner as Bruce Springsteen, but on Sad Day, for sure. They are king. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I agree. Uh, again, Nick Cave is um, one of these artists um, who... Um, I, I love, but don't know the, the the extent of the discography, if you know what I mean. It's hard to yeah. kind of uh, dip into. But also a very theatrical act as well. Like, you could, like it's a very builds a mood and atmosphere. Yeah, show. yeah, it's very much about, like, creating a feeling. They've also, they're one of those weird ones where he's, I think it's quite rare, actually. People often talk about, like, oh, they did some of their best stuff, actually, like, later. But I genuinely think Nick Cave is doing genuinely his best stuff within the last five years i think he was great and really cool and really kind of moody and interesting and then in 2013 Mm -hmm. started doing stuff that was much more about mood and emotion and sort of texture because it it sort of got stripped back to just him and warren ellis Mm. doing piano stuff and warren ellis would do strange like violin loops and the rest of the band were sidelined a bit which is a shame for them but i do think it's produced by far the best stuff of his whole career. So I'd be, and the saddest stuff, like it's really like heartbreaking, the stuff he's done in the last five years. Um, So I would want him focusing on that stuff. He can do maybe a few of the sad ones from the 80s as, you know, for nostalgia, but I mostly want him doing his his current stuff because it's it's very moving. Yeah. So in the cave, like um, you mentioned with uh, working with Warren Ellis and... uh, so where which where should I start? Like if if you're telling someone um like where to begin with it, what kind of album would you look at, or like what song um would you kind of start off with? I think their best album is Skeleton Tree, which was 2016, mm-hmm. and that came out just after the death of Nick Cave's son, but mm-hmm. I think actually was written beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of came out and was interpreted very much as a like, oh my God, this is a par- parental grief album. 
And it sort of was and sort of wasn't. I think he finished it after that happened. So obviously a lot of that goes into it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was written beforehand. But it's just this very harrowing, sometimes very dark, sometimes very beautiful album about loss, really. Yeah. Uh, but the album before that was already going in that direction. The, the one called, There's an album called Push the Sky Away. Uh, and that was the first one of those more sort of stripped back, kind of sad, moody ones after... Like the one before that was very much like big guitars and kind of yeah. over the top like uh, party music um, and push the sky away is the point where it becomes much kind of slower and sadder. So I think those two are amazing to look at. Uh, he did an amazing album just with Warren Ellis this year called Carnage, which I mm-hmm. think is the best thing anyone made in lockdown. It was really beautiful. Oh, cool. But also the, the album I started with was uh, The Boatman's Call, which was in 1997, and that was a similar thing. Even it was the first time that he focused just on him and him at the piano because it was a heartbreak album. He'd broken up with PJ Harvey, mm-hmm. and he just wrote a load of really sad songs about heartbreak. And it was just him on the piano playing them. No, so, no. so yeah. that was sort of the first time he he stripped things back, and then uh, he got louder again, and now he's got quieter again. I I'll be really honest. Um, like uh, I know this. I don't mean to undercut Sad Day whatsoever, but like uh, when you said Nick Cave broke up with uh, P. J. Harvey, I immediately oh, yeah. thought P. J. and Duncan. <laughs> I just oh, yeah. thought <laughs> <laughs> that now that's a heartbreak. Yeah, Nick Cave broke up with uh, P. J. from P. J. and Duncan, and then obviously had to watch P. J. get together with Duncan and uh, yeah. have a lot of success with. Yeah. <laughs> What's the song called? Let's get ready to rumble. Well, um, imagine, imagine like, uh, like Ant and Deck, but like Nick Cave being one of the presenters. <laughs> Nick Cave as a de- which one was PJ? Was that Ant or Deck? Oh, I don't know to be honest uh, from the top of my head, but like, uh, I prefer picturing Ant and Nick Cave. I think that's a funnier <laughs> pairing. <laughs> now imagine Saturday Night Takeaway with Nick Cave. <laughs> Very different show. Yeah. I wonder whether Nick Cave would have made it sadder, or whether Ant would have made Nick Cave happier. Now we'll that never is a- know. <laughs> Now I don't um, know where it would have gone. That, that is a good like what if question. Do you know yeah, what I mean? like <laughs> Marvel take on that one next. We want we want to see. <laughs> uh, brilliant and uh, that's that's really wonderful. But uh, let, let's move on to your final day on your Sunday. And uh, who have you got on Open Sunday then? So day three is Prog Day because yeah. I thought Prog was the was the genre that got me into music properly anyway. So I got to do a day that celebrates that. Um, so Pink Floyd are opening. Whoa, that's it. Yeah, you'd think they'd close, but I've decided <laughs> they're not closing because they're not my favourite prog band. They're, so, they're doing uh, a Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I think, um, I understand that they're probably most people's favourite. So I recognise that they're they're an important opener. Mm-hmm. But um, So they'll just get everybody in a good mood. Uh, Rick Wright is alive again, the keyboardist. Yeah. That was the supernatural bit I was uh, concerned yeah. about. So he's alive and everybody gets on. Because obviously they, I think they just don't, they yeah. don't talk anymore. But for this, they're talking. Um, so I'd have them doing probably just, just the classic stuff from the seventies. Yeah, you could ask them to do some, but nobody needs it. Nobody wants to see them do their deep cuts. I think just do some Dark Side of the Moon stuff and some Wall stuff, and move on. In and out, boom, gone, yeah. nice, quick, bash them out. Uh, <laughs> Then in the middle, I've got King Crimson and Jethro Tull. Oh, that's strong. King Crimson they're, and Jethro Tull, yeah. They're sort of my favourite of the classic prog lot. Because even Pink Floyd, I think, weren't sort of classic prog. They were kind of, they became so successful that I think they sort of 
transcended the label of prog because I think prog was always an unfashionable not very cool thing to be doing mm-hmm. and even though Pink Floyd kind of came out of it and made music that still had a lot of the hallmarks of it they actually just became a sort of a rock supergroup, really so King Crimson and Jethro Tull I think are my favorites that are still very tethered to the like we're big nerds being yeah. silly like they they still yeah. have that thing around them King Crimson are mad these days. I saw them live a couple of years ago, and they have three drummers now. Like, what's the deal with that, right? Do you know what's going on? Because I'm not a music... Well, I do play a little bit of drums, but I don't really yeah. know music theory. Like, Because Modest Mouse have two drummers, and I thought, oh, wait, right. that's, that's mad, but I'll, I'll fair play, okay. But three drummers? I'm not having it. I'm not I, having I could never see the appeal of it until I saw it live, because King Crimson have done a few albums with three drummers or with two. They did one album where there were two bands, so there was two of everything. There were two guitarists, two bassists, two singers, two drummers. The oh, Noah's just doesn't sound. It just sounds very loud. Yeah. Um, or you can't really tell. Like they might be doing all sorts of weird stuff, but I couldn't. It just sounded like a drum kit. Because drum <laughs> kits already have lots of stuff going on, so I couldn't tell which was one drummer and which was the other. But then I saw it live, and they did sort of like drum battles. And it was very funny. They would like, one of them would do like 10 seconds of like really cool. And then the next one would try and one up it and go. And then the third one would go. And because it all sort of sounded the same to me, I was like, this is really funny to watch these three like guys competing over just stuff. Like it could all be one. But something about like the kind of competitive element just made it really funny. So I quite like it now. Oh, what what would be so funny though is like, if you were like, like you were obviously not as good as the other two drummers, yeah. like you'd be like, king, yeah, <laughs> a triangle, yeah, like it's like I, I am trying, people, uh, yeah, um, yeah, um, all right, wonderful. Let, well, so let's just head. To, uh, who is the final act that you have on for your for Jostock? The headliner of Jostock on day three is Marillion because yes. I think they're great. <laughs> Tell you what, now I'm gonna call this a Michael Legg band because they Michael Legg talks yeah, about really loves Marillion a lot. But I don't really know. Again, I don't know tons about them. But I listened to him this morning, and Marillion have I would say an outside vibe of being again that kind of fanciful like we're big nerds. Here we go. Yeah. But like when I listened to him this morning, like it might just be in the greatest hits or whatever. But they uh, they definitely were less nerdy, but more like wow, this is really. Awesome stuff, you know, like... Uh, yeah, they're good, actually. Yeah, they're really good. And I think I think it depends what era you're booking, because there's two eras, and in the 80s, their, their front man was a Scottish singer called Fish, and that was yes. the point where they did all their very sort of silly prog stuff, and there was a lot of him going, uh, let the blood come out of the walls, and all that kind of thing, like very sort of like, there's a scary goblin sort of thing, yeah, and I love all that stuff. Yeah. But then in 89, uh, Steve Hogarth became the lead singer. And they kind of went in a more... They're still sort of a prog band, but they sound a bit more like a kind of modern like art pop rock kind of mm-hmm. thing, like Muse yeah. or something like that. Like they're a bit more uh, normal sounding. Yeah. Um, but I think they have elements of prog. Like they still have all the kind of silly solos and the multi-part sweet songs and that kind of thing. Um, but they're better with mood and with doing stuff that actually kind of, uh, like, I think they're better with texture and that kind of thing. And I know Michael Legg, I, I think he hates the Hogarth era stuff. Yeah. So I don't know whether when he was on, he would have been booking Fish era. But I think... Yeah. Which which was he? Was he well, yeah, actually, he, had, he didn't even book them on. He got to, he uh, uh, to uh, subscribe to many other ideas. He right, fair <laughs> enough. didn't even have them. Um, even I have think them. I'm going to book Hogarth era Marillion, nice. partly because... 
the fish stuff is the famous stuff, so it's nice to show people what else they can do. And partly because I think, in a funny way, I prefer it. Yeah, I love it. I love it both. I love I love both eras, but I think I prefer the modern stuff. I think what you, like what you're describing there, the Hogarth versus Fish, and like the Hogarth stuff, I think you can listen to it most times. But I feel like with certain prog, because I do like prog myself, um, uh, I'm I'm definitely more into like people like Rush and stuff like that, and yeah. like and they are quite nerdy, but it's also massed into this wonderful kind of. Uh, um, storytelling and uh, interesting ideas and a great great musicianship as well but like uh, uh, but I feel with the Hogarth stuff you can kind of get on board with it but like if it's like I am a goblin from Tennessee yeah, it's, it's like, quite it's bit... hard to find your way in yes, <laughs> to that and, stuff and also just, just to find the right mood and time for it as well because like sometimes just like I just I can't deal with this right now do you know what I mean like yeah uh, but yeah otherwise uh, yeah I think yeah that'd be nice that'd be nice um but yeah, um, well, that's an amazing festival. Like, uh, I think it's a, it's a, looking at that lineup from afar, uh, starting with Parliament Funkadelic and ending on Marillion, you've got a lot in between. It goes but... through all the emotions. Yeah. Nobody can complain about being shortchanged with an emotion, so I think yeah. that's all good. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, you have sad day. You've yeah. run for your life at, from the walls. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real, it's a real festival. And but let's head to our final part of the festival where we deal with some floor fillers. Oh yeah. As with event management, things are bound to go wrong. So here's a couple of hypothetical oh, no. questions that Joss has to deal with in the manner that he sees fit. So, here we go. Um, oh no, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seas have cancelled last minute. Who do you get oh, to replace them? Oh my god. Oh, who's the nearest to Nick Cave and the Bad Seas? You know, maybe it would have to be um, PJ Harvey because of her, <laughs> her former personal connection. So... She'll be able to hopefully kind of summon the spirit of Nick Cave. She might not want to. She might go, yeah, I broke up with that guy 20 years ago. Yeah. But maybe if we offered her enough money, she'd go, yeah, fine. I I know a couple of their songs. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds funny. Um, she could do her own stuff as well. But I guess I guess she ought to include at least one cover. So people go, OK, I got my I got my Nick Cave fix. But that is quite insulting to ask <laughs> her to do that. Maybe she, Maybe I should just let her do her thing. One of your acts has forgotten their equipment, but good oh. news, they're willing uh, and welcome to do an acoustic set. If you had to pick one artist from all of your lineup to do an acoustic set, which one would you pick? I think it would be very funny to see Parliament Funkadelic do an acoustic <laughs> set, because so much of what they do is like synth bass, and now this big guitar solo and that kind of thing. I think trying to watch them do the same thing just on a piano and an acoustic guitar would be very, very funny. And maybe really good. Like sometimes you find really surprising stuff when people do like acoustic covers of songs that you assume can't possibly work, and then you go, "Wow, this is actually really moving," or something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, here we go. Um, I've got some bad news for you. Tom Waits and Kate Bush hate each other's guts. They say they oh. won't perform if the other one is performing. Oh no! How would you negotiate, or if you had to, who would you pick between the two? Um, maybe. I would uh, maybe I'd have to do a kind of a Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> thing where I get the I kind of convince each of them that they're headlining, 
and then get the audience to kind of <laughs> subtly switch between the two. So one person at a time, there's like a door, like I'd build a big wall and a door between the two, and then I'd get the audience to kind of put on a different hat and then go through the door. So they're constantly rotating. So it looks from their point of view from the stage like they're just performing to, or a mirror, that's it. There I'd split go. the audience in half. So each of them is actually only playing to half the audience of the festival, but I'd have a huge mirror down the side so it looks like they're playing to the entire festival that's so clever yeah yeah <laughs> an illusion yeah a clever illusion no that that is one of the most original answers we've ever had for that <laughs> okay so your fans are in the mosh pits they're crowd surfing and they're doing something called the jaws norris what do you oh. think that might be i reckon well i actually i um i designed a dance move when i was in my teens and i've never worked out how to do it because i think it's physically impossible but it's um you put your arms out to either side and then you stand side on towards the audience and then you lean at a 45 degree angle from the ground and then you hop forwards in a little shuffle so that you resemble a kind of a slanted t hopping towards the audience uh, I don't know why I decided that would be cool. I just one day I pictured it in my head and I thought that'd be a great dance move. I yeah. need to learn that. But it's quite hard to lean at a 45 degree angle to the ground without falling over. And very hard to do it when you're next to a big old mirror as well. So Yeah, yeah, that makes things <laughs> tricky. Um but that's that's funny. And uh uh yeah, and uh let's let's go for this. Um oh two we've got two more questions for you. Um Oh dear, someone's running late and you need to fill for time, but fortunately one of your favourite celebrities is willing to do a DJ set for you. Now, just to clarify, oh. they don't have to be a DJ whatsoever, it can just be any celebrity, but which celebrity would you pick? Maybe, um, maybe Jim Henson. Ooh, that's, no, that's, that's a fantastic answer. Yes. Again, please. he's dead, but <laughs> if, you know, if, if I can have anyone, I'd be curious to see what Jim Henson's DJ set would be like, because it would probably be very anarchic. But also it would have real heart. I don't know how yeah. a DJ set has heart, <laughs> but I think if anybody could figure out a way to put like to put that in, it would be Henson. And final question. Your festival loves you and they want you to sing one song at the festival. If you had to oh pick one song for you to join an artist on stage to sing, which one would you oh pick? Oh my god. Oof. That's that's tricky actually. Um Oh, there's loads of songs that I like to sing. Maybe it would be a maybe it would be a Springsteen. Yeah, because they're such a lot of fun. Oh, Land of Land of Hope and Dreams by yes. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, it's very nice. It's a big it's a big rousing finale. Everyone can sing along. Get Clarence's nephew out to do the sax solo. <laughs> it's going to make everyone feel great. Yeah, and that is the end of Floor Fillers and it's the end of the podcast and uh, yeah uh, thank you so much for joining us have you had a nice thank time thank you for having us? me it's been lovely to talk about it it's been good. this is happening now right you're yeah. you're funding it and producing <laughs> exactly as I as yes, I pitched that is Great. the contract cool. of this podcast cool. 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 is that I work good. very hard can't wait really excited <laughs> um, but yeah uh, Jules uh, uh, would you like to plug anything and where can people find you online uh, they can find me on uh, Twitter at Jos Norris or my website is josnorris.co.uk and I'm on Instagram and places like that as well. So I've got a few things that I'm working on. There's a new show and then a radio show coming out next year. But if they Sweet. go to those websites, then they'll see all the updates that they might want on mm -hmm. stuff that I'm up to. That's really amazing. And uh, yeah, please go and check out. Uh, uh, when's that radio show out? 
I think it's next summer. I think it's sometime between July and September. We we look forward to checking that out. And uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And uh, thank you, listener, for being uh, for listening along. I hope you had a really wonderful time at Jaws's festival. If you do like this, please make sure to follow us at Castle Podcast on Twitter and also follow me at Matt House Comedy. On top of that, why don't you give it a five star rating on the platform that you're using? Because um, it it really does help. Other than that, please give a massive thank you to our wonderful guest. It's Jaws Norris. Thank you. Very thank much. you for having me.